like to say what a pleasure it is to be here with you in Amarillo. My uh, experiences in Amarillo so far, at least until this weekend, was have been to drive through on my way to somewhere else. It was nice to have this as the destination and to have a chance to meet a lot of really great people yesterday and then yesterday evening. Uh, thank you very much. I'm very honored to be a part of, of this uh, speaking series. Let's join together in prayer. Lord, we thank you for breaking the silence and speaking your word of life. And we pray now that that word of life would find its way into our lives in such a way that we are transformed into the image of Christ, the model human being, and our gracious Savior. Pray that these words from my mouth and these meditations of our hearts together might be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Scripture reading this morning is from the 12th chapter of the letter to the Hebrews. Since then we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The passage begins by saying, therefore, since, which helps us to understand that we're entering a conversation that's been going on for a while. You see, this is the 12th chapter of the letter to the Hebrews. In a a larger sense, the letter to the Hebrews was written to Jewish people who were really wrestling with the question, what does it take to become a Christian? What do I have to abandon in my Judaism in order to embrace the gospel? Or what is it that compromises my Judaism if I'm to follow Jesus? They're they're trying to balance these against each other, and the the, the word was written in order to grant them a certain sense of guidance and freedom. And it's, it's kind of constructed around a series of questions that have to do with the great Uh, elements of Judaism. Among them, the angels. So it begins with the question of, as great as the angels are, look how much greater Jesus is. Uh, As great as the priesthood is, look how much greater Jesus is. As great as the temple is, look how much greater Jesus is. You get the idea. And that brings us to the 12th chapter. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. It's tempting, maybe even more so in today's world, I don't think that's me. (laughs) We are uh, tempted in today's world to, uh, I think, believe that we are in an increasing minority, if that makes any sense. Can you you be an increasing, I guess it is, an increasing minority of people uh, as secularism seems to take hold of our culture. But it's important for us to realize that God has surrounded us with people in two forms. First of all, the cloud of witnesses, I think, is a, has a certain spiritual sense to it, but there's also a temporal sense in the reality. I mean, look around you today. You're not alone. What it is, I mean, there have been times throughout the gospel story, throughout the story of the Old Testament, where, you know, the prophets were tempted to say, and I, I only, I am the only one left. And God's always reminding people, you're not the only one left. I have other people who are also unknown to you, but necessarily doing the work of the saints. So we're, we're surrounded by people. In fact, I was reminded the other day I was reading something about the largest living organism on planet Earth 
Uh, it is believed to be an aspen grove in Utah. It's about 2.1 miles across. They estimate that there are 47,000 individual trunks of trees coming up from the ground. They look like individual freestanding trees, but they are actually all part of the same tree underground. We look at people as though we are separate individuals, but the body of Christ somehow unites us together below the surface in places where we can't easily see. We were having a conversation about this last night at dinner, talking about you know, the great diversity of the church and how is it that we can become more blended with all of our diversity. And I, I, I've been trying to do that in my own ministry for more than 40 years and find it to be extremely difficult. So I'm beginning to wonder if maybe the unity of the body isn't more God's business than it is our business, and it's below the surface in a place you can't see. So just to say once again, you're not alone in your faith, in the place where you work, in your neighborhood, wherever it is that you find yourself, below the surface and above the clouds, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I mean, such is, such is the popularity of Jesus, such as the power of his saving grace, that people are attracted to him, and we live as a part of that crowd. So therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. I think you, know, you lay things aside in order that you can get started. Uh, there may be an aspect of your walk with Jesus that you've been considering undertaking for some time, you just can't seem to get started. Or maybe there's some, maybe, maybe it's another thing. Maybe, it's, maybe there's something in a relationship that's just not working. Um, maybe it's a personal habit that, that's become a burden to you in your life. Probably most of us have a list of things that we're going to do. We know they're important when we get around to it. But the letter to the Hebrews says, now, Whatever it is that's preventing you to make progress in your daily walk with Jesus Christ, put it down. Get started. You know, they say that the, what, the uh, significantly large percentage of the fuel required to get a rocket into space is expended in the first, what, uh, 100 feet or 1,000 feet. Just getting started is a big deal. Uh, sometime back, I came home on a Sunday afternoon, sort of the dead zone for me after doing the Sunday morning worship services, and uh, so I sat down on the couch and I was channel surfing, and I came across the broadcast of the Ironman uh, International Championships, the Ironman Triathlon, if you're familiar with that. It's a 26-mile run and a two-and-a-half-mile swim and a 110-mile bike race all combined together into one athletic event. People compete from all over the world. Anyway, uh, they were doing a little summary broadcast of it, and I think it was 60 minutes or 90 minutes. So, you know, they had to condense it down. And the way they did it was to follow the storyline of several of the competitors. One of them was named Elizabeth Thompson. Elizabeth Thompson, the thing that made her interesting was that several years before, she had suffered from a stroke that significantly disabled her. And so going through physical therapy, she would swim, and she would bike, and she would at first walk and then run. So when she managed to regain her her faculties, 
she began asking the question, well, what is it that I can do that would allow me to continue to swim and to bike and to run? That's when she became, that's when she was introduced to the whole idea of a triathlon. Now there are sort of many triathlons, but the big one is the one I was describing a while back. And she became such an expert in it that in her age range, she was in her 50s, in her age range, she qualified for the international championships in Hawaii. So anyway, they were following her, following her story as she made progress uh, around the course. I think it took her something like 18 hours to finish. And when she crossed the finish line, it had gotten dark, and um, there was a reporter there and a camera and stuck the microphone in her face and said, Elizabeth, what a tremendous accomplishment it is that you crossed the finish line. And she said, no, no, you don't understand. The accomplishment for me was crossing the starting line, just getting going. So this passage reminds us again that there may be places in our life where where it's just time to get going. Let us lay aside everything that's holding us back. It may, uh, again, it may be some practice in our spiritual life. It may be some correction that we need to make in a relationship. It may be something more personal to it. But, but get going. Run with, it goes on to say, then run with perseverance. Lay aside everything that's keeping you back and run with perseverance. Well, if the, if the former is to get started, I think the latter is to keep going. Run with perseverance. Keep on going. There are all sorts of impediments, things that, that make progress in our daily walk with Jesus difficult. And it does require just a, a kind of deep Commitment, day after day. Remember, uh, Malcolm Gladwell was studying people who were particularly accomplished in this field or that, and one thing he discovered about all of them was what he came to describe as the 10,000-hour rule. You may have heard of that. It's doing something 20 hours a week for 10 years. If you do something 20 hours a week for 10 years, you become proficient in that work. In fact, I was getting on the airplane on Friday, and I'm sitting in a seat that could look up into the cockpit, and here's the, here's the co-pilot doing the checklist. I was really relieved to see him doing that. But he was also talking on the telephone to his wife, and it sounds like they were having an argument. <laughs> and I just wanted to say, you know, in a few minutes we're going to be up at 35,000 feet together. I, I hope that you're sort of in the game here. But it gradually dawned on me, he's done this so often, you know, it's sort of the 10,000-hour rule. He's just been at it so long, he can multitask. And the letter to the Hebrews is right, reminding us to have that quality in our, in our walk with Jesus, that perseverance, the determination to keep going. I remember hearing in the news a while back about another woman. Uh, she was running in the Cleveland Marathon. Now, if you're familiar with marathon runs, you know that they're not just a 26.2-mile run. There's usually another, maybe one or two races included, perhaps a a half-marathon and a 10-kilometer run, which is 6.2 miles. Well, this woman hadn't entered the 26.2-mile run. She'd entered the 6.2-mile portion of it. But when she got out on the track, she missed the turnoff. So she found her... She found herself running the marathon, the full marathon course. Some of her family tracked her down. They said, you're on the wrong course. Turn around, go back. But she just kept on running. And sometime later, she crossed the finish line. Her family said to her, what were you thinking? And she said, well, it wasn't the race that I planned for. And it wasn't the race that I trained for. But I thought, as long as I'm on the course, I might as well finish the race. 
It'd be sort of interesting, maybe we just take an informal moment now to go around the sanctuary and you could talk to the person next to you. You could answer the question, has your life turned out exactly the way you thought it was going to turn out? (laughs) Has everything been according to the plan you had when you were seven years old? Vocationally and relationships and all the rest of that. Now life just doesn't, every one of us is living a life we didn't plan on. And even a life we hadn't prepared ourselves for. But as long as we're in it, we might as well keep going. So when impediments come, when disappointments come, the word from Scripture is run with perseverance. Don't give up. Run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, this is sort of the centerpiece verse of this section of Scripture, and it's really the centerpiece verse of life. Looking to Jesus. A while back, Time Magazine did a a story on the 100 most influential people in history. Now, I'm thinking Time Magazine. I have no idea what to expect that they'll come up with, you know, who's going to be on their list. I was relieved to see that Jesus was number one on the list, most influential person in human history. Just that in itself is a phenomenon to me, this one individual human being. The other thing that was interesting as I went through the list of 100 was to just make a kind of check mark between all those I knew from my experience with them in their life, their historical record anyway, that I knew were also deeply influenced by Jesus. I would say about one-third of the most influential people in the history of the world have been deeply influenced by Jesus. This man is astonishing. He's, he's extraordinary. I was saying yesterday to the group, you know, the most important part of a jigsaw puzzle is the box. It's got the picture. You don't have the picture. There's no putting it together. Jesus is the box. So keep your eyes focused and fixed on Jesus, looking to Jesus. And here are two reasons why we need to keep looking at Jesus. First of all, because he is the pioneer. Everybody knows pioneer. Everyone knows what a pioneer does. The pioneer is the one who goes before. Uh, just try to imagine how many pioneers are, are represented in this, just in this space today. I mean, the, the crafting of the wood required people to figure out how to, how to manipulate wood, how to cut it and shape it and sand it. The microphone that I'm using, imagine all the pioneers involved in that, the beautiful stained glass windows. I mean, you get the idea. Everything around us right now owes its existence to a pioneer. Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. He's the one who has gone before us. He's the one who gets things ready for us. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine came to me. We were served on a nonprofit board together, and he was also on another nonprofit board. And he said, listen, I happen to be on the nonprofit board for an organization called the Mercury Baroque Orchestra. It's an orchestra in Houston that is composed entirely of uh, musicians who play music only from the Baroque period. And they use instruments that were unique to the Baroque period. The greatest piece of music in the Baroque period was Handel's Messiah. So he said, you know, uh, every year we do a series of concerts around Christmas performing Handel's Messiah. We do it in several places around the city. And then our, our grand finale is in Jones Hall, downtown Houston, and, and our orchestra and choir um, 
present Handel's Messiah. And every year we like to ask one person from the community to be the guest conductor for the, uh, for the, for the finale, for the encore finale. And we were wondering if you'd be willing to do that. I, I have no musical experience whatsoever. I mean, I like music, but I can't do music. Even, even being asked the question made me kind of shake. But I found myself in a weird sort of way saying, well, sure, why not? <laughs> now, the, the encore part of it was, was to sing one more time at the end the Hallelujah Chorus, which is not very long. It's only four minutes and seven seconds. Everybody knows the Hallelujah Chorus. Well, a couple of days later, I'm downtown. I'm having lunch with Antoine Plant, who is the artistic director of the Mercury Broke Orchestra, and he hands me the score. He said, well, maybe, maybe this will help. Well, it's about this thick on pieces of paper that are about this size. I just handed it back to him and said, no, I went out and got myself a, a CD of Handel's Messiah. So I find the Hallelujah Chorus in it, and I'm listening to it all the time now. I'm sort of practicing my moves. What, what do I think a director, conductor would do at this moment or that? I put it in the, you know, in the player on my car, and then we wait at the traffic lights, and I'd be there imagining people would look. You know how you look in the window watching people do whatever it is that they do in their car when they don't think they're being watched? Well, that was me. I did it in my office at home. I'd be directing away. I even woke up in the middle of the night and I'd be... I, I mean, it freaked me out so much. I had no idea what I was going to do. Next thing I know, I'm downstairs in the basement of Jones Hall. It's the, it's the final performance. It's the, it's the warm-up, I mean, for the final performance. Dress rehearsal. They're... they're you know the music. It's the first time I've had a chance to see the musicians and hear the choir. I mean, they're really good. And then Antoine turns to me and he said, "Well, you know, right up, come right up here on the podium, and we'll uh, we'll give you your chance." I mean, my heart is just pounding in my chest, and I had no idea what I was doing. But somehow I got through those four minutes and seven seconds, and uh, then I was done. As I'm walking out. Uh, Antoine Plant comes up to me, he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he said, I can tell you're pretty anxious about this. I just want you to know that we really don't need you to do anything. <laughs> if you will just give us some kind of sign that we're about to begin, and when we're done, that we're finished, we'll take care of the rest. So, anyway, the next thing I know, it's the next night, I'm on the stage, and I don't know, I reach up to straighten my tie or something, and they started playing. <laughs> about two minutes into it, about halfway through, I'm thinking, this is really going well. I, I might have just discovered a, a, perhaps a latent quality that I hadn't known about before. It was, it was at that moment I looked around and realized not one member of the orchestra, not one member of the choir was even looking at me. A few minutes later, we're done. I'm back in my seat. And as I thought about it later, it finally occurred to me, you know the reason that went really well? Because God created the universe and sent his son into the world, and, and the, the scriptures capture his life. And Handel somehow summarized creation and salvation and redemption in an incredible piece of music and and he put it down on paper and people had been playing it and the members of the orchestra were playing instruments that had been made by other people and the singers had been practicing themselves over and over again until they were experts and Antoine Plant had refined his skills and prepared the orchestra so that 
When I stood up on the podium, all I had to do was straighten my tie. So many pioneers had gone before us. A lot of times we're anxious about starting something because we don't know how it will turn out. I'm I'm saying that Jesus is your pioneer. He's gone before you. If there's something significant in your life you need to do, do it. You'll find that the way has been prepared. The next step is ready. He's our pioneer. He's also our perfecter. If the pioneer is the one who goes before, the perfecter is the one who comes along after, which is the identity of Jesus. He comes along and straightens things out so that our life and our legacy somehow, by the act of grace, turn out better than we could ever expect. My wife, Terry, and I have been married for 47 years now. Neither one of us has any reason to take credit that it's turned out so well, except to the grace of God. Uh, Your legacy will shine because Jesus is your perfecter, the one who comes along later. And this should serve as tremendous relief from anxiety just to know that there's one who's going to, who has control over things that we don't have control over. He's going to cause life to work. Remember that airplane that took off from LaGuardia Airport a number of years ago now and that flew into the flock of birds and, and both engines were extinguished? And so that, you know, if you go online, you can, you can listen to the conversation back and forth between uh, the control tower and Captain Sully Sullenberger, the, the pilot of the airplane, I mean, they only had a couple of minutes to make really crucial decisions about where they were going to go. There was no way that they could get back to LaGuardia. I mean, they have no, they're flying, they're gliding at this point. An Airbus is not meant to glide. They couldn't make it to Teterboro. They couldn't make it to Newark. And so Sully Sullenberger gave words that became very famous at that time. And in fact, that year, somebody who keeps track of the famous sayings of the year, this was the number two famous saying of the whole year. We'll be in the Hudson. Say again. We'll be in the Hudson. This is not a seaplane. Somehow it made it down. Uh, Just the thought of it. Can you imagine what those people were thinking? When they were told to prepare to land on the river? I mean, you, you, you probably can't even comprehend the possibility of survival. But then there they were. But one of my favorite pictures of all time. The airplane stopped. The doors opened. And all the passengers climbed out on the wings of the airplane. I mean, it's a great picture. It made me think of Psalm 91. For he will give his angels charge regarding you. They will guard you and all the... They will bear you up on their wings, lest you dash your foot against a stone. In fact, I felt for a long time, wouldn't it be a great thing? I understand you just bought a piece of property nearby. Wouldn't it be a great thing if you could get that airplane? Well, that airplane. For me, it's back there, but for you, it's up here. Wouldn't it be great if you could get that airplane? And move it to your property and you could put it up on, on some kind of a platform and people from a whole area could come here and they could walk up on steps and stand there on the wings and they could remember the psalm and they could also be reminded that things worked out miraculously. I mean, that airplane had no business landing in the way that it did. Those people had no business surviving, but 
the effort of the pilot was perfected somehow. Jesus is your perfecter. He's going to take even some of the most difficult circumstances, the most ragged parts of your life, and somehow they're going to turn out. Your children are going to turn out. Your work is going to turn out. Your health is going to turn out. He is your pioneer and your perfecter. Who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has been seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It turns out miraculously. I, I, I think I may be the only person who was ever really moved by one of the opening scenes, scenes of the movie Jurassic Park, the original Jurassic Park movie. In this scene, two paleontologists who have spent their whole career studying dinosaurs in books and digging for their bones in the dirt are transported to an island where they have been told remarkable creatures live. And as their jeep eases out into this broad rolling meadow, they hear a kind of moaning sound in the distance and look, and there near a grove of eucalyptus trees rises up a 30-foot high dinosaur alive. Can you imagine what that would be like? Something that you have only been able to read about in a book or touch the skeleton of, you see face to face. Something like that happens when you and I encounter Jesus fully. He comes up off the page. He rises out of the dust of experience, touches our lives in such a profound ways that that nothing is ever the same again. Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, your pioneer and your perfecter. Get started and keep going until the race is done. Please pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for choosing to reveal yourself to us and rescue us in Jesus Christ the model human being, the, the person that we were all designed to be like in our own unique way. I pray your blessings on those who have gathered here today that they would, in fact, be filled with new courage and resolve to follow wherever you lead, and especially into life that really is life in this world and life that lasts forever in the next. In Jesus' name, amen.